0: Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lalas, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue-colored glasses. This episode, we'll be talking, well, a full MLS Cup preview, uh, UCL Roundup, World Cup Packing, Eliminating Offside, USC Homecoming, All Quiet on the Western Front, and so much more. But first, joining me as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox Soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how are you doing on this Wednesday, November 2nd in the year 2022?
1: I am doing well, and I want to begin today's show by wishing a happy birthday to our former producer, uh, Francis Silva. Although she's married now, so it's Frances something else, but
0: um, <laughs> we'll always consider her Francis. Yes. Uh, happy birthday, Fran! Yeah. She does. She does. She does wonderful things. Fran Arthur, Arthur for the uh, record there. Uh, she does wonderful things and has for a long time. You know, we we uh, we've talked about her o- over the years, and she's. She was with us, then she was not with us, and now she's back with us, and uh, we are better for it. So happy birthday to her. Uh, did you watch anything interesting? No. As I as I told
1: you, I'm in a bit of a holding pattern now. Right. Uh, but you, it sounds like, might have I something. I did. To... I
0: did watch the uh, new All Quiet on the Western Front, um, which is on Netflix. It's uh, it, it's a German film, uh, in German, and then you can subtitle it or you can dub it, depending on what you want. I actually watched the dubbed version, which was pretty good, actually. Um and, you know, as is the case, as technology advances, the ability to make things more and more realistic advances, right? And so all of these war movies now, they are they are so realistic and so terrifying in their realism right now. And this is another one, you know, the Dunkirk's and all those different movies that I know you have watched. And this is another one that would probably be right up your alley in terms of the historical significance. Um, how How much it sticks to the book and doesn't. I've read some articles where, you know, people are concerned that it deviates here and there. Um, and, but it is a harrowing, another harrowing type of, uh, war movie. And again, the cinematography is incredible. And the way that the war is depicted is incredible in its, you know, just brutal and devastating, uh, physical and, emotional and psychological effects on the, uh, soldiers and everybody involved, but it's, it's mostly out on the, on the battlefield almost entirely. And it's very, very well done. Uh, it's not the greatest war movie I've ever seen, but it's, uh, it, it was, it, it, it kept my attention for the, the two and a half hours, I think, uh, that it ultimately was. So maybe you check that out. I know you're on a, a holding pattern.
1: I do have, uh, the last episodes ever of Atlanta. Uh, that's going to be my final TV engagement. in okay. Qatar. So that's coming up, um, so looking forward to that. Uh, this is the final season, and we've only got a couple of episodes left.
0: All right. Well, as we mentioned earlier in this week, uh, we, are, we are in the midst of MLS Cup Week, and there's all sorts of festivities, and obviously it's in our hometown here in Los Angeles. So ready to light this candle? Let's do it. All right. Well, let's start off with a, a little deeper MLS final MLS Cup preview than earlier in the week. As we know, LAFC hosting the Philadelphia Union, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on Big Fox. All of us will be out there uh, at the bank downtown in Los Angeles, a sold-out stadium for uh, what promises to be, you know, a hopefully a very entertaining and interesting game between what is not I even think arguably at this point the two best teams in Major League Soccer and as we said before the two uh, uh, number one seeds if you will finally facing off against each other after almost a 20-year span where that has not happened. So delectable on the surface and so many different things uh, to talk about. We talked a little bit about this but I want to get a little bit more into it because All finals, and I guess all sports, come to be defined, right, and framed as such. And this one, I think, rightfully so, is going to be about what Philadelphia is and what LAFC is, and that juxtaposition between the two and how differently they approach their soccer on the field and their philosophy off the field of uh, of the club. And so the whole. David and Goliath, in this case, LAFC being uh, the uh, Goliath and obviously Philadelphia being David, the elites versus the working class, if you will, Philadelphia punching above their weight, the little engine that could and LAFC, that shiny super club paid for uh, with incredible celebrity ownership and high spending, style over substance, all that kind of stuff. That is going to be how it is going to be framed. And uh, as we found out this week, that the Philadelphia Union are leaning into that heavily uh, in an effort to gain any possible advantage. Uh, General thoughts on, is that the framing and is that a fair framing? Uh, I
1: think it's a fair framing, and I actually put together a graphic today that is going to air on our pregame show on Saturday that you're going to be talking over uh, exactly that, comparing how many homegrowns each team has, how many designated players, what their payroll is. And yeah, the differences are stark. I am trying to ascertain whether Christian Teo counts as a designated player. Believe it or not, that's proven <laughs> more difficult than I imagined. Uh, I'm putting a lot of faith in Tom Bogert because it's an article of his that i ultimately going with uh to determine yes or no he's a smart
0: man i would i would have no problem trusting him so uh
1: but yeah in terms of the payroll i mean lafc is twice as i don't want to give away the graphic we're gonna but yeah and and philadelphia has twice as many homegrown players if
0: people listen to the if people listen to this show okay if they take the time to subscribe to our show we should be able to give them a little peek behind the scenes and i think we do i think you know we're not giving away what's going to happen on the show but if you are loyal subscribers and listeners and watchers to this show, you do get a peek behind the curtain. And that's a good thing. That's one of the benefits of being part of the State of the Union. So that's uh, uh, that's good. Um, I, I mentioned that uh, Philadelphia is leaning into you know the little engine that could, right? So much so that their uh, social media folks this week pulled out a clip from, uh, they have receipts, I think the kids call them, of me mid-season, I don't know when it was, uh, in the middle of the season, Talking about uh, probably a May or so, right? Talking about the Philadelphia Union, and in this clip, I, uh, I I say that they are not a great team yet. Well, we know in this day and age, all it takes is you know somebody to say something critical of somebody else, and it can be weaponized and used. And that's what uh, the Philadelphia Union have done. They, they tweeted it out and said, this was a bad take, but it's not your worst take yet. And this only tells me that they are desperate and that I'm living in their head uh, among many, many teams and people out there right now. So this warms the cockles of my uh, redheaded heart to uh, see that the Philadelphia Union are having to resort to this tactic to motivate themselves. And the check is hopefully in the mail for yet another team that I am being used to motivate.
1: I saw the clip and it was from our post game show after a game against NYCFC in late June in which uh, their trainer Paul Rushing uh, infamously came on the field and mixed it up with the NYCFC players. And it was after that game, I believe Rob Stone asked you about NYCFC in Philadelphia, which one of these teams is a true MLS Cup contender? And you said NYCFC, yes, Philadelphia, not so much. And I think they're, they're making a lot of hay out of that.
0: As, as they should. And if I was in their position, I would do the exact same thing. And so you can't really laminate a, a, a clip like this. But, uh, you know, for those that uh, uh, know the receipts that have been kept from a Cincinnati perspective and others out there, you know, get in line.
1: Uh, I did hear from a Phillies fan on Twitter, because you might recall I said Astros in five, and that's no longer possible. The what are they at Phillies now? are playing much better than I expected in this series. They're up it's 2-1. A so. year, yeah, it's a Philadelphia
0: year, Mossy. It's a Philadelphia year. So we'll see how it goes. Uh, they have, I, I think as we record this on Wednesday, the Philadelphia Union have made their way across the country to get ready.
1: I will say, though, in terms of the soccer that the two teams actually played this season, Philadelphia is not any underdog. They were a no. juggernaut and, and scored goals for fun and finished with a much better goal difference than LAFC, the same amount of points. So I understand the framing in terms of the general manner in which the two franchises operate, how the rosters were constructed. But just in terms of on the field watching them play this season, this to me is a clash of heavyweights.
0: It, it is. However, I do feel that LAFC, from a, from a depth perspective, perspective may have a little bit more in the tank and certainly more to go to. And look, I, I don't know if, if Bale is a liability even at this point, but it's still, you have Bale sitting, I think, we don't know, but sitting on the bench this week and it's not a bad substitute to have. And Kalini, we know he starts, he doesn't start, it doesn't really change the uh, the outcome.
1: Yeah, the two injury questions would be Kalini and, you know, they're not sure about Segura either, so it might be Ibeaga. And then with Philadelphia, obviously Bedoya, who I don't think is going to try again. I expect it to be Jack McGlynn, who, by the way, would be the second um, youngest starter in MLS Cup history, behind only Aidan Morris a couple of years ago with Columbus. McGlynn would actually surpass Landon Donovan from 2001. Uh, you mentioned, by the way, this being the first final between two number one seeds since 2003, Chicago-San Jose. Jim Curtin played in that uh, it's game amazing, for huh? Chicago, so there's some it's, neat it's, connections there.
0: It's full circle. Oh, by the way. I should clean up something about uh, from a couple podcasts before uh, ago that I talked and I said about uh, Jim Curtin. I will also tell the story, and here's a, another peek behind the curtain. If you tune in on Saturday to MLS Cup, you'll probably hear the the real version of this story. So, a couple podcasts ago, I think I mentioned that I traded jerseys with Jim Curtin because uh, he had wanted my jersey when he first came into the league. At the time, I was playing for the Galaxy, and I was a you know, an old veteran running around, and he had wanted my jersey. My wife is an elephant, okay? She remembers absolutely everything, and she is uh, very (laughs) useful at times. And so she has reminded me that that was not the case, actually. What ended up happening was Jim Curtin came into the league, and for those that don't know Jim Curtin, uh, he looks much more clean cut than he did when he came to the league. When he came into the league, he had a much more frowy big, Bushy hair, do and stuff like that, and my wife immediately fell in love with this player that she was being forced to watch as I was, you know, watching games and stuff like that. And she's, who's that kid? And I, I love him, and and all this kind of stuff. And so, in <laughs> knowing that my wife was such a big Jim Curtin fan, right when he burst on the scene, at the end of the game where the Los Angeles Galaxy was playing against the uh, Chicago Fire. I actually went up to Jim Curtin and asked for his jersey in order to give it to the love of my life, my wife, who had obviously fallen head over heels for this young uh, Jim Curtin as a player. So that is evidently the story. And I, in my egotistical way that I do, thought that he had wanted my jersey. And it's actually the complete opposite.
1: Although for all we know, his wife might be a fan of yours. She may know that. She
0: may be. There are wives out there. I'm sure somewhere out there that are fans of of me. But listen, Jim Curtin uh, against Steve Cherundolo. We have we have talked and we will continue to talk about how good both of these guys have been in very very different ways and in very very different circumstances and scenarios that they have coached under. But both of them have obviously uh, been successful. The only reason, again, that it's happening in Los Angeles is because the Los Angeles uh, LAFC have, in the course of the season, won more games than Philadelphia. And that is the first tiebreaker when it comes to um, Major League Soccer. And that's what they're going to continue to do. Uh, How do you see this ultimately playing out on the field? You had something. I can see your face. You had something to say.
1: No, no, You mentioned in your opening uh, USC homecoming. I'm wondering when you're going to get to that element of uh... well, uh,
0: <laughs> because later on in the show, my friend. But good tease there. All right, we do have uh, something where uh, a friend of ours is talking about the uh, MLS Cup oh, final and one a of the USC homecoming. Cards. So I'm, I am going to save that, but we're not giving anything away in that. USC homecoming and a USC game is happening at the exact same time that the uh, MLS Cup is happening. So that's so MLS. All right. On the field, ultimately, how do you think this plays out? Eileen Union. Do you really? Yes. Why? Just because you love the little engine that could and, you know, everybody's against us and it's us uh, you know, against the world. And come on. I just think it's their year. Really? Yeah. OK. I listen to, to your point. The union, and they've actually said this, they don't look at themselves as underdogs in any, by any stretch of the imagination other than I would think, you know, the playing at home, there is a significant advantage. Um, in this case, I'm still going to go with, uh, with, with LAFC. The wonderful thing is, Mossy, that, you know, we, we did the calculation this morning of the 26 MLS Cups, 13 different MLS teams have one MLS Cup, all right? And we know that this is a league that is built from a system perspective on competitive balance and parity out there. And they have gotten that. They have achieved that it's relative to most every other league in the world where you have your haves and the have-nots. And once again... On Saturday night, we are going to have the 14th, yet another team that has never won an MLS Cup. Both of these coming at it in very, very different ways. I am going to stick with my prediction of LAFC, a 3-1 prediction in that it's 2-1 to down the end. Philadelphia is just pouring on the pressure and risking, and therefore that space in the back opens up. They get that third kind of uh, open net goal, if you will, from a hockey reference, uh, and it ends up 3-1.
1: Uh, one stat in your favor is that it's been since 2012 that the higher seat has hosted MLS Cups. So we've had 10 such MLS Cups, and the only outright victory by a visitor was 2015 Portland at Columbus. There were two others on penalties, Seattle, Toronto, 2016, NYCFC last year against Portland. But yeah, I mean, home field advantage does matter in these games. It did.
0: And keep in mind that, that Portland, uh, that's the Valeri one where he picked off the, uh, uh, the ball at the very beginning there, if I'm not mistaken. So something crazy happened in that. And, you know, barring something crazy which certainly can happen um it's going to be uh it's going to be a, a a fun night. We're all going to be out there. We will all be on site for this game uh and that includes uh Kendra D. St. Alban and Stu Holden and obviously uh John Strong and uh, Rodolfo uh Landeros and uh Maurice Du everybody behind the scenes. Am I missing anybody there? I think that's uh, that's everybody. So we will be uh we will be doing that game and all right. So do you have a do you have a score prediction? Because I gave my score prediction. So you should do that. I'll go two one Philadelphia. Two one Philadelphia. All right. Cool. Cool. Uh, anything else in terms of uh, of the pre uh, the preview for this uh, this game?
1: Uh, no, that's it. Can't okay. wait.
0: All right. Before we uh, move on to some uh, Champions League. Uh, also, congratulations are in order to Hani Mukhtar from uh, Nashville SC, the MLS MVP uh, for twenty twenty two. Certainly uh, uh, well worth the votes that he got. Um, as we know, I did not vote for him ultimately because of my calculation, but I have no problem with, uh, Mukhtar being, uh, the MLS MVP. You?
1: I don't. Uh, I do want to say, I saw that MLS put out a best 11 for this season today and it is an absolute joke not that any of the players aren't great okay. but the formation it's basically three defenders and then eight attacking players why and why
0: why don't you like to play attacking soccer why you know, listen i've why always I,
1: said with these best elevens um you can take some liberties with positions but you can't be completely farcical about it it still has to be some semblance of a team uh france football a couple of years years ago, put together an all-time best 11 in soccer history, and they had Pele and Maradona as wing backs. <laughs> so th- there are instances where you you cross a line to me. Are you looking at yeah, it right now? So
0: let's go here. So uh, Andre Blake and goal, All okay. right. You don't have a problem with that, right? Yeah. You don't want two goalkeepers, right? No, it's okay. Fine. One goalkeeper is good for you. All right. So the back three that you're all up in arms about is uh, Kai Wagner uh, on the left-hand side. No problem, right? Uh Jacob Glesnes, both from Philadelphia Union, and then and then Walker Zimmerman, right? Yep. So those are your three in the back. If you were playing at a three in the back, if you're so inclined, you'll okay with that. You're okay. So now we go to the quote-unquote midfield, right? Gazdag, Mukhtar, Driusi, and Acosta. Not a lot of defense being played there, right? So you better have the ball a lot, okay? Uh, so you have any problems with the? With the players there, or the person, or the again, it's not all of those players are
1: great, but I'm just saying it's it's a ridiculous lineup construction, and then there's still three more hey, forwards. Wait, hold to-
0: on. <laughs> are you saying it's ridiculous because there's nobody to play defense? Nobody would actually tackle. Nobody would really do anything exactly. other than when you have the ball.
1: We ought to recognize some of the defensive midfielders that had great seasons, and that position doesn't count. You're allowed to just put listen.
0: <laughs> I, this is I am obviously a former. Well, you're never a former. I am. I'm a defender, right? I see the beauty and the value to it, but I'll be the first person to tell you there's a reason why people buy tickets. There's a reason why people to tune in. And it's not for good defenders. It's not for good defending. And those out there that right now that are in their cars or listening and they're screaming, yelling, going, yeah, it is. You don't know what you're talking about. No. And if it is, you are a complete anomaly out there. The vast, vast, vast majority tune in because of attacking soccer, because of goal scorers, because of creative types of players. I get that. It's why they get all the money. It's why they get all the attention. It's why, in many cases, they get all the girls, okay? I'm okay with that. That's not a problem. So celebrating that and overloading an MLS All-Star team with the people that do what is the most difficult part of the game, I'm okay with that, but you're not. And then up top, you have Carlos Vela, uh, Brandon Vasquez, and uh, Jesus Ferreira. You okay with that? (laughs) Are you okay with that? Yeah, I mean, all the players are. Okay, all the players are okay, Best but, eleven, but you wanted some un- unsung Tyler Adams and <laughs> Golo Kanté type of uh, player there to balance it out, so that you could actually play a game of soccer and have hopes of being successful in your uh, in your MLS best eleven. Is that what you're saying? All right. Well, we can't have everything in life, Mossy. Um, all right. Now, should we move on to uh, Champions League? Yes. Okay. Where do you want to start here? The games both on Tuesday and today, Wednesday uh, that we are recording here. Obviously, we can go back to Tuesday.
1: The group stage is in the books. Yes, it is. Uh, match day six will go in order here. We'll begin on Tuesday. Uh, Porto beat Atletico Madrid 2-1. to one. couple things here. Uh, with this result, Atletico finished fourth in the group. So they're out of Europe altogether. Didn't even drop down to Europa League. So Diego Simeone <laughs> uh, catching all sorts of heat for that because that, this is an embarrassing showing right? for Atletico Madrid in the Champions League this season. Porto, meanwhile, pipped. Club Bruges for first place in this group. Bruges advanced in second place. Uh, One of the Porto goals scored by Mehdi Taremi, who is an Iranian international. I'll give Eric Winalda credit. He was talking about him on the radio, and I do want to highlight him here. He is a very good player who leads the line for Porto. He scored five goals in the Champions League this season. He's been a prolific player for them for the last couple of years. He scored 20 league goals last season, which was second in the Portuguese league behind only Darwin Nunez. And so he's a player that the U.S. is going to have to contend with at this World Cup. Also has a pretty good international scoring record. So as we've talked about, if the U.S. isn't sorted defensively there in that back line, it's not just Harry Kane. You've also got a striker here that can do some damage. All
0: right. Well, and remind me, though, so Atletico is not in either any in any any tournament right now, right? Correct. So they will be able to focus all of their attention on losing uh, the La Liga title, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, if we one thing if it was if it was they they're at let's see they're at twenty three points right now. Okay, so they're already eight points behind Barcelona, nine points behind Real Madrid. So. Even one or two isn't even a possibility now, despite how rested they are going to be. All right, well, uh, bring it on then. You know, bring on uh, Iran, bring on Mediterranean, and uh, and his entire Iranian team. Uh, also
1: on Tuesday, Liverpool beat Napoli two 0 at Anfield. Mo Salah and Darwin Nunez in the second half. Now it needed to have been a bigger victory for them to overtake Napoli for first place in the group. They didn't achieve that, so uh, these teams advanced. Napoli one, Liverpool two, but still. Uh, Morale-boosting victory for At this Liverpool. point,
0: if Liverpool wins, it's, a, it's good, right? I mean, you're not going to cry over the fact that it wasn't comprehensive or they didn't score more goals or anything like that, given especially the way that the last couple of weeks have gone uh, for, for Liverpool.
1: Yeah, weirdly, they've beaten City and beat Napoli, which has been maybe the most informed team in all of Europe, and they've lost to the likes of Leeds United and Nottingham Forest. So it's been a bit of a head-scratcher for them the last mm-hmm.
0: couple of weeks. But we've seen teams that, are, that look completely different in their international games relative to their you know domestic campaign
1: I will say even though Napoli lost Varaskelia, uh, Rory Smith wrote a piece about him recently. And, you know, I sat down to watch this game just for him. In the first 10 minutes, he nutmegs Trent Alexander Arnold right. twice. I mean, he is that, that guy <laughs> is so much fun to watch. Uh, but all the drama on Tuesday really was in Group D because you went into it with all four teams still alive for a knockout stage berths. And in both games, the home team was up 1 0 at the break. And then the away team scored twice in the second half and won. So we'll start with Marseille Tottenham. Uh, Marseille up one 0 then Langley equalized early in the second half. And and with a draw, Tottenham were already going through. But then Pierre Hoiberg scored on a counterattack virtually the last kick of the game. And that goal gave Tottenham first place in the group, which could be important. We'll see what the huge, matchups end up being. Huge
0: goal. Great goal, by the way. He just he, he got rid of it and hit it off the post there and, and uh you know sends them to the win. And that is huge. Although uh they they did not leave the game unscathed.
1: Yes. um, This has been a bit of a theme, unfortunately, if you've been following games the last few weeks. Players getting injured and putting their World Cup participation in jeopardy. Hungman's son had to come off um, with a head injury. Looks like he's going to have to have surgery. It's a fracture in his eye. Um, so yeah, he's obviously a major doubt now for the World Cup, which would be a terrible blow for South Korea, and, you know, he's such a likable player that, you know, you'd hate to see that.
0: We saw uh, De Bruyne last year with this type of injury, right? Uh, I think it, uh, if, if I'm not mistaken, Sean is telling us that it took 19 days for him to come back, so this is this is, this is is going, for the Euros, uh, this is going to be very, very close. Uh, the, I guess the only, that's it's not a good thing, no matter what, but it's not a an extremity, obviously, that you are using. So, you know, who knows? Maybe we see him in a shield or something like that. Uh, you know, a World Cup without someone like Son, for, from a practical perspective for uh, for South Korea, that is a big, big problem. But just from a, a neutral's perspective, not having the best players like Son is in the world, that sucks. And so, but again, and, you know, Masi, I pulled up this, uh, there's a bunch of sites now that are kind of, populating every single day as these injuries uh, go through and we know we just mentioned song Um, obviously we've talked about uh, you know players for Argentina Uh, Dybala with a quadricep injury Uh, Di Maria uh, these types of players Lo Celso Lukaku now for a while with his hamstring your Brazilians over there uh, Richarlison and Arthur Melo uh, calf and muscular injury England Calvin Phillips uh, Reece James, Kyle Walker, those types of players. Uh, Chilwell, uh, who we going to, who potentially could be out too. And this is all kind of happening in real time. And again, it goes back to what we talked about, where we don't know how serious they are. They're just kind of there, and some could be more and worse. We've talked a lot about France, even though they have reloaded and they have plenty of depth: Golo Kanté, Paul Pogba, uh, 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 Raphael Varane, these types of players: Leroy Sané, Thomas Müller. Uh, Manuel Neuer at different times, injuries, uh, Timo Werner uh, today. So it just keeps going on. Tecatito, uh, Raul Jimenez, and we could go on and on and on. Now, some of these injuries are going to clear up just because the soccer gods will smile upon them. Or like I said, they were just being overly cautious and protective of not shattering their opportunity to play in a World Cup.
1: Uh, now, just to wrap up. So the other match in in that group, Sporting versus Eintracht Frankfurt, Sporting with a 1-0 lead at the break. Uh, Eintracht Frankfurt scored twice in the second half. They take it 2-1. So the Europa League winners from last season advance second in that group. One other Tuesday match I do want to mention. Uh, Rangers lost to Ajax 3-1. James Sands and Malik Tillman both started. So shout out to Rangers. Uh, lost all six games. And minus twenty goal difference, two goals scored, twenty two against. Uh, yeah, but
0: they're but they're Champions League players, Mossy. But they play <laughs> in the Champions League. But they're at they they're at the high level of playing at the Champions League, so they must be better than insert player here or insert player there. Um, moving on to Wednesday,
1: uh, <laughs> early Real Madrid hammered Celtic five one, and they needed to win this game to top the group, which they did. Uh, big news here is Karim Benzema came on in the second half of this game. We talked in our last podcast about players kind of milking injuries so they wouldn't risk getting re-aggravated and potentially missing the World Cup. Benzema in the last few days in the Madrid media started to get a lot of heat over that. And so all of a sudden it turns out, oh, he's fine. And <laughs> he came back for this game. He said, I think I can get away with this. I think nobody's <laughs> going to say
0: anything. It's like, well, you're Kareem Benzema. So yes, people are going to say something. And then sheepishly say, oh, okay, I'm fine. I'll, I'll 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 go run around a little bit.
1: But yeah, uh, Valverde, by the way, with another incredible strike. I mean, it's like every game now. (laughs) It's nuts. Uh, Vinicius scored as well. Modric and Rodrigo from the penalty spot. Ascensus around. Madrid had a bit of a party. And like I said, they had to win that game because Leipzig hammered uh, Shakhtar 4-0. That meant Leipzig advance and also, it put pressure on Real Madrid. Had Real Madrid not won their game, Leipzig would have topped the group, but instead Leipzig goes through in second. As you mentioned, Timo Werner, though, did get injured in that game. So we'll see what that status is for him. That's important for Leipzig and also for Germany.
0: What else? Um, what
1: else? In uh, Chelsea's group, they beat Dinamo Zagreb uh, two to one. Uh, as you mentioned, Chilwell got injured, so that was the uh, sour note there. But Raheem Sterling and Dennis akadia scored the Chelsea goals. Pulisic came on for Sterling late, a little Seven brief cameo. You know,
0: just no? it cram- well, it's right, listen, you know, just we're giving him little doses here or there as he as he prepares mentally and physically for you know bigger fish to fry in uh, Doha. Uh, Milan. Uh,
1: hammered Salzburg 4-0, the other match in that group, so they advance uh, in second place. Olivier Giroud with two of the goals. Uh, Stefano Pioli, I continue to say, is one of the most underrated managers. Uh, he's gotten AC Milan back in Serie A, where they're winning Serie A titles, and now he's got them in the knockout stages of the Champions League. He continues to do a really solid job there. Um. really, the most interesting aspect of Wednesday was this battle between Benfica and PSG for first place in this group. Both teams had already clinched knockout stage berths, but uh, it was pretty incredible because going into it, they were level on points and the head-to-head had canceled out because both PSG-Benfica games had finished 1-1. So... Uh, PSG had a healthy goal difference advantage. They were away to Juventus. Benfica was away to Maccabi Haifa. So you figured the only way, given the goal difference, realistically, Benfica could top them is by gaining more points than them. And so once PSG uh, we're beating Juventus 2-1 in the second half. I thought, oh, well, Benfica are out of luck. But then Benfica poured on a bunch of goals late, beat Maccabi Haifa 6-1. That leveled the overall goal difference, and Benfica takes first place on more away goals scored. The, the clincher was João Mario in stoppage time. We had to go to about the seventh tiebreaker, if you go through the list. But Benfica got it. They topped the group. PSG it was a, it was, finished in second. It was
0: crazy. And you know the um, the folks over there at uh, Paramount, which is where you know we stream and watch it from, they have the Golazo show, and it was it was incredible just to see them going back and forth and back and forth and. Well, they they could you know, need two more goals, and then they got, and then they only knew one more goal. and It's coming, it's coming. I'm going back and forth. Oh, it was it was uh, it was fun. It was fun. Uh, it was against an American, right? In goal. Uh, I just want to make sure that
1: yes. <laughs> uh, so an American <laughs> did have a big impact in the Champions League, and Josh Cohen Again, but he compl- played
0: in this played the Champions by League by conceding Masi, those he's six. A Champions League player
1: by conceding those six, he relegates Messi Mbappe uh, and Neymar to pop two in oh the. Knockout. We're going to
0: talk more about American goalkeepers later on in the show. All right, what yeah. else, Masi? Uh, uh, we, so what are we at? Where are we at now? Oh, so by ge- the way, Gio got the start right uh,
1: yeah so that we'll do that group next um, so Manchester City who uh, had already qualified they rested Erlen Holland and started young Julian Alvarez Argentinian player who's going to be at the World Cup and all he did was get a goal and two assists <laughs> in their 3-1 victory over Sevilla uh, also in that group Dortmund Copenhagen won one and Gio as you mentioned started came off around the 63rd minute I believe
0: all right. Well, look, that's, that's good that Gio is playing. And that's, I guess, given his history, good that Gio is not getting hurt. Uh, and so, again, we knock on wood that he continues to you know, be stout, shall we say, uh, for the next uh, couple of months, given with the World Cup coming. All right. So where are we at now uh, when it comes to the final 16, Mossy?
1: All right. So the knockout stage field is set. Uh, the group winners are Napoli, Porto, Bayern Munich, Tottenham, Chelsea, Real Madrid, Manchester City, and Benfica. And POT2, which is quite frisky, has Liverpool, Bruges, Inter, Eintracht, Frankfurt, AC Milan, Leipzig, Dortmund, and PSG. So I mentioned earlier that Tottenham winning the group could be big. Actually, you know, you look at the two pots side by side. It's not a huge difference, if we're being honest. Uh, So this is one of those years where I think we're going to end up with a lot of sexy round of 16 matchups. The draw is on Monday. I can't wait. Remember, you can't draw a team from your country and you can't draw a team from your group. So it restricts a little bit who each team can get. So people have already been playing around with the percentages, but I mean, either way, when you see teams like PSG and Liverpool and pot two, it guarantees that some pot one team is going (laughs) to be. We'll we'll be able to
0: talk about that uh, on the, uh, on the show Monday. Hey, by the way, I I should mention uh, you uh, when we were talking about Man City um, and, you know, we talk a lot about young players and stuff like that. Rico Lewis, 17 years old uh, was on the field for uh, and started for Man City. And by the way, scored a goal. So uh, the, You know, the rich just get richer, uh, whether they're bringing it from outside or, you know, developing it inside. So congratulations to him. Uh, Anything else, Mossy, when it comes to uh, Champions League? Uh,
1: No, that's it. So we're going to spin it forward and look ahead to some games in Europe, beginning in the Premier League. Uh, A couple of big ones there. Arsenal will be away to Chelsea. Uh, Arsenal, your Premier League leaders, they face a pretty big test here.
0: I mean... uh... At some point, the shoe is going to drop, I think, for Arsenal. That's that's what a lot of people think, all right? And maybe I'm I'm one of them. But I'm not sure it's going to happen until after the break. And that break, for a lot of teams and for a lot of people, couldn't be worse. But Arsenal, to, again, (laughs) stop this incredible run, uh, it could not come at a uh, worse time for Arsenal. But, again, we, we... you know, a, another good team in Chelsea that are coming up. And, and I still feel like each and every week that we do this is like, OK, well, now they really got to prove it. Now are they really legit? They are legit. I mean, this is a legit Arsenal, Arsenal team. They are going to be battling uh, even after the World Cup break, although I think it's going to affect them. Um, but if Arsenal, given what they are right now, were to go in and beat Chelsea, given what Chelsea are, it would not surprise anybody. And in a certain extent, at this point right now, We should expect that, right?
1: Yeah, you know, I've mentioned on this podcast before, there's no player the last few years that I've talked myself into and talked myself out of more than Gabriel Jesus. And he's now gone seven games without a goal. So it's yet again triggering this interesting debate about him. Now, the analytics crowd is rushing in to defend him and pointing out that statistically other than goals, He's everything else. His numbers are bonkers, including numbers that you would never equate with a center forward and stuff like recoveries and tackles. And Jonathan Liu, who's this excellent writer for The Guardian, uh, wrote a piece uh, in the past few days a lavishing praise on Gabriel Jesus and saying that people still don't appreciate. Uh, what, what a great player he is. And on top of all those qualities I just mentioned, just the more esoteric stuff of making players around him better and his energy is contagious and he's brought a winning mentality to Arsenal. And Jonathan Liu had this great line about Gabriel Jesus. He's really a ball-winning midfielder at heart who, who plays a little striker on the side to make some extra money.
0: <laughs> you know, that's how he framed them all as right. a player. I mean, if you're, you're, you're getting away with it in that you're winning. In the same way that we talked about PFOC uh, last uh, last show right there. You know, you go through a streak where you're not scoring and you're supposed to score. People are going to say stomps something, except if your team continues to win and continues to do well. But again, you're taking it out of that circumstance and putting it into a national team. I know he's going to Brazil, which is a very different situation than coming to the US, but still it doesn't always translate.
1: It just, I I get all that. I get what Jonathan Liu is saying. I get what all the analytics folks are saying, but I just can't help but think, man, if this guy with all the other attributes he brings was like 10% more clinical in front of goal, we'd be talking about a Ballon d'Or candidate instead of just the. Very good player he is, but not a
0: superstar. And you don't think he'll ever develop that 10%. He is what he is. Yeah,
1: I mean, at this point.
0: Okay, well, that's a shame. I I believe in him because, you know, I believe in the good in people. and I believe that people can improve, Mossy. You believe in Jesus. I do. I believe in it all, all right? I believe in positive thinking uh, and, you know, sunny days and warmth and kindness and love and talent (laughs) that can be nurtured so it's going to happen in Doha for your guy.
1: So the other big game in England, Tottenham will host Liverpool. Liverpool as we've talked about, uh did beat City, they've beaten Napoli, so in the bigger games they still kind of show up. Um so we'll see if that applies here. Tottenham obviously going to be without Hwang Mun-son, so uh should be a good one.
0: I mean, we talk about Liverpool now putting kind of all their eggs in the uh, in the Champions League basket, but they can't let the home front go <laughs> go too far because then they won't even be in Champions League uh, come the end of the year. Uh, City will be hoping that this
1: is a weekend where they can overtake Arsenal because Arsenal, as we mentioned, are away to Chelsea while City are home to Fulham. Uh, that means uh, Tim Ream having to contend with Erlen Haaland.
0: Oof, boy. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, if there ever was an opportunity for the, you know, the Tim Reed brigade out there, and, and there's there's a lot of them out there, and I, I even would consider myself at times... One of them, I but I do understand, and I will defend when it comes to someone like Tim Rehm, uh Greg Berhalter's decision. Having said that, if he were to have you know a stellar game, which is not beyond him because that's kind of what he has done certainly this year, which is why all of this this uh, uh, this conversation is around whether he is going to be named. By the way, next uh, week on the uh, ninth, when Greg Berhalter announces those twenty six players, I, I don't foresee him being in that 26 but you know another stellar performance against arguably the best team featuring arguably the best player that would uh, be a nice little feather in his cap and yet another reminder to greg Burhalter and the like i said the brigade the brigade out there would get even more uh loud and vociferous in their support of tim ream being one of the 26. Uh, and
1: then Leeds-Bournemouth, which I'll say this about Leeds, um, you can't give it back now. Exactly,
0: exactly, <laughs> Mike, because that's what everybody's thinking, including Jesse Marsh, you know, uh, he's, he's thinking, we can't undo all of the good that, that we had last week. Um, and, you know, he will guard against it, playing at home, because I think there was a sentiment and this feeling that That was a turning point from them in that this team that had been playing well but wasn't getting the results now played well and was rewarded in the results. And so, you know, if you're a glass half full, you're saying this is where we kick on and we use that confidence that we got from going and beating Liverpool last week. But if you come back the next week and you lose at home to Bournemouth, that is a big problem. And you're right back where you started in terms of the pressure and the chirping out there with regards to Jesse Marsh's future. Uh, in Italy, there's a top-of-the-table clash this weekend. Napoli
1: will be away to Atalanta. We, we've talked plenty about Napoli. Um, amazing what they're doing. But I do want to give Atalanta some love. They continue to be one of the great stories in European football the last few years. They have a manager I love in Gasperini, who's been there since 2016. They've finished in the top four four different times during his reign. They're in second place this season, only one loss in 12 games. They've made it to the knockout stages of the Champions League a couple of times under him. So they continue to punch above their weight. Ademola Lukman's found a nice home there. He's doing well. So this should be a good one. Looking they cycle forward to through this game. players.
0: They've you yeah. know, made changes and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. All right. Good. We don't give a lot of Atalanta love out here. No, yeah. Um, in Germany,
1: uh, is this the weekend that Bayern Munich finally overtake Union Berlin? Bayern will be away to Hertha Berlin, while Union Berlin are away to Leverkusen, as we talked about in our last pod. Pifak, zero goals in his last eight games, only one in the last 12. So hopefully he can get going again.
0: Uh, he may indeed get going, uh, but I do think that this is, this is the moment where they overtake him. So this is the changing of the guard that is kind of expected to come at some point.
1: Uh, Leverkusen, by the way, now managed by Shabby Alonso, recently took over. Another one of these great former players getting a shot.
0: That's great, Must. <laughs> <laughs> what do you want me to say about that?
1: that's <laughs> well, it's always a fun topic. There are people out there that think you know that's unfair to guys that pay their dues and you know.
0: look. It's it's not un it's not unfair. Well, it's unfair in that the soccer and life is unfair, and that people are going to have additional and added. Advantages and opportunities than you or I or others, or you or I are going to have additional opportunities and other opportunities. And it can be relative to our background. In this case, we're talking about coaches that have played. It can be directly related, and you know, uh, used as the reason why you are given these opportunities. And some some come good, and some don't. And there will be those that have much more experience and on paper, will look like a much better candidate that will not ultimately get their, uh, their opportunity. But, you know, until playing the game is completely found to be of no use from a coaching perspective, this is going to continue to happen. And it, and it doesn't just happen in soccer. It happens in life out there. And so suck it up, Buttercup. But there's also added pressure now Because of who you are as a player and you have the potential of damaging your now we call them brands, but, you know, who you are uh, and your legacy, if you will, if you come out and suck it up as a coach when you were an incredible and legendary player like he was and others have been.
1: Uh, and we'll end in Spain, uh, where Real Madrid go into this weekend one point up on Barcelona. Barcelona home to Almería, Real Madrid away to Rayo Vallecano. Also a great derby game in Spain this weekend. Betis host Sevilla. That's the most fierce derby in La Liga. So looking forward to that. Uh, so that is the weekend in Europe.
0: All right. Well, plenty of soccer uh, ahead of us this uh, weekend, including, like we said, uh, uh, MLS Cup. Uh, which will we bet on. Will, we will be at on Saturday, and then all of these different games that uh, Mossy took us uh, through there. All right, should we take a break and come back? Yep. All right. When we come back, we will be going and finishing up our more deeper dive into the U.S. Men's National Team with the uh, 26-man roster being announced next week, and we will talk about goalkeepers. You can't live with them. Y- you can't push them off a bridge. All right. We're back in a second. All right. Welcome back. And uh, as we have been going through uh, the last couple of weeks, a little bit of a deep dive into some of the players and the positions, we finally get to the uh, goalkeeping position, a necessary evil when it comes to goalkeepers, but they will save your ass. And we have certainly had times in the past from a U.S. men's national team perspective in World Cups where having a good goalkeeper has gotten us point or kept us in games or in the case of Tim Howard, for example, uh, come up with a, a historic performance even in a uh, in a loss. So here are the men in our group right now that we think are are potentially going to be uh, part of the what we think is going to be three goalkeepers. Keep in mind, again, it's 26 players in the roster here. I haven't heard any team say that they are going to go with four goalkeepers. I still think it's going to be three. Uh, and... You know, that I don't think that that's crazy. All right, Zach Steffen, Matt Turner, Sean Johnson, Ethan Horvath, and we've thrown in Gaga Slonino, uh, Slonina uh, just to kind of actually expand the conversation. All right, Mossy, I don't think that you and I necessarily differ here, and I don't think there's a lot of people that differ here when it comes to Zach Steffen and Matt Turner are both going. They are on the plane. I don't think it's even a question. They have been back and forth the starters with this national team. And I think that Matt Turner is going to start, even though, as we mentioned, he has been recently sidelined with a groin injury. Um, But I do think that ultimately he is going to be the starter. So any any problems with Matt Turner or Zach Steffen?
1: No, I do. What, what?
0: What, just, I
1: think Matt Turner should definitely be the starter. You think Matt Turner should definitely be the starter? Just about every U.S. fan I talk to thinks the same. I do wonder if Greg Berhalter. Do you think
0: a hundred percent he's on that page? No, I don't think a hundred percent at all. I I think that he has a soft spot in his heart for Zach Steffen. I think that he, you know, he, he follows his own path. And like we said last show, it's not that he doesn't hear what is going on, but almost hearing. A differing opinion can almost, you know, bolster your belief that you are making the right decision. Look, I don't think that between Sean, uh, between Zach Steffen and Matt Turner, there is that great a difference. Other than I think Matt Turner is a better shot stopper. Okay, Zach Steffen may indeed be better with his feet, but I think he risks more, and I don't think he is as good a shot stopper. We have know we know about the injuries that Zach Steffen has had over the last couple of years, but if everything is equal and everybody is healthy, when I talk about the equality there, I, it would not surprise me in the least if Greg Berhalter turns to a guy that he just seems to favor in Zach Steffen, in particular because of the way that he plays. And I do think that Greg Berhalter not only wants to be successful in the World Cup, but how he is successful is actually important to him. And implementing the, the system that he has you know, tried over the last, over this cycle to implement, I think is important to him. And having players out there that play in the way that he has set out, I think if to the extent that he can facilitate that, he's going to go with the players that he think is going to do it. And I do think that he thinks Zach Steffen is better suited to doing that.
1: Uh, Steffen this season has been playing fairly regularly for Middlesbrough in the championship. His form has been kind of up and down. Well, Turner, we know there's been a lot of talk about his inactivity. I will say we're taping this on a Wednesday. Uh, This podcast drops on Thursday. Tomorrow, Arsenal have a Europa League game. I have not seen what his status is for that. Uh, You would hope that he'd be able to play in this game. Arsenal then have a League Cup game the following week against Brighton. If he were to play in these two games, it would be six starts for Arsenal this season. And then the two he made for the U.S. in the September Mm -hmm. window, eight games that's not so bad. Uh, You know, for all the talk about his supposed inactivity, uh, just to put that in perspective by using uh, another CONCACAF team, um, Kaylor Navas hasn't played for PSG since May. The only match he's played... Uh, over that span is that intercontinental playoff against New Zealand for Costa Rica. So that's a country that really has to worry about goalkeeper inactivity. I don't find Turner's workload this season to be that bad going into a World Cup.
0: In my assessment of who to play, it has nothing to do with who's playing, to be quite honest with you. For for goalkeepers specifically, okay. And it's not that they can't be in form or they, you know, I wouldn't rather that they're playing, but... my my determination when it comes to Matt Turner over Zach Steffen has nothing to do with how many games that they ultimately played. All right, number three, I, I think it's John, uh, Sean Johnson on the plane. Um, you, any disagreement there? And by the way, if, if, if it's all about playing Mossy, then Sean Johnson should be starting for the U.S.
1: Yeah, so we've established Steffen and Turner are locks, and then these yeah. three guys are fighting for that last spot, yeah. and you think Sean Johnson is the so clear between leader. So Sean in.
0: Johnson, Ethan Horvath, and... Uh, Like we said, we put in Gaga Sloninho because I think he will be involved. I just don't think it's going to be happening here. And there was a point where we've been talking about, because it's a 26-man roster, do you, even with the U.S., I mean, that's one thing if you're Brazilian doing this, but even with the U.S., say, hey, we're going to bring somebody that is just there for the experience, that we know is going to be involved in that next cycle and maybe just being there and, you know, blood in them in that time. And that would be a Gaga type of situation. But I don't think that that is happening. I don't think that Greg Berhalter is, nor should he be thinking about 2026 right now. His job is 2022, and who knows if he'll be around even for 2026. So, um, so yeah, it would be between Sean Johnson and Ethan Horvath out there. For a lot of people that are thinking about this, I would go with Sean Johnson. I think that Greg Berhalter is going to go with Sean yeah, Johnson.
1: Yeah, Horvath playing for Luton Town in the championship. Uh, Johnson obviously coming off a very strong season with NYCFC, he had 14 clean sheets, second only to Andre Blake, who had 15. Um, yeah, I agree with you. I would strongly lean Johnson for that third spot.
0: And look, you know, Horvath, Horvath has done well when he's been with the national team. I think he has, you know, by all accounts, there's there's nothing bad in terms of what he has done or the way that he has come across to this group. So he is definitely in the conversation. But I just think that, it also. You know, Sean Johnson's been around 33. He would be maybe even the oldest player on the team um, when it comes to this team that's very, very young. But if if you ever talk to Sean Johnson, uh, he has this incredibly calm demeanor, uh, very mature in the way that he thinks about the game, the way that he thinks about life. And while part of me wants to fully lean into everybody being young, I, I think that having someone like Sean Johnson as the, the voice of reason, if you will, because this young group is going to need somebody at some point that is going to be able to step up and say, hey, this is where we need to go, or this is why we shouldn't do this, or hey, this is not okay. And I think that Sean Johnson can be that voice of reason. Um, and maturity that this team has very little of, uh, and then you don't think the Gaga thing is going to happen, right? No. Okay. Well, we put it in there anyway, just to make it a little more more uh, more interesting. All right. Anything else uh, goalkeeper wise, Mossy? That is it. Well, let me ask you one thing. We we remember in history the incredible uh, game that uh, that Tim Howard had. Do you think that at some point, whoever is in goal ultimately here is going to have one of those games.
1: I think Matt Turner is absolutely capable. Uh, he's okay. that good as a shot stopper. I could see him winning a game in this world cup for the U S If the U S has no business winning that they get totally outplayed. Well he,
0: that, I mean, people forget that the U S lost the game that Tim Howard was so great in. So I would want whoever it is, whether it's Matt Turner, or somebody else to have a, a equal in, in terms of impact, but more importantly to win the game.
1: And I will say, I might upset some people here, but I am not a Zach Steffen fan. So to me, he's the other extreme for me where he might lose you a game with a mistake interesting
0: interesting yeah i mean i'm not sure it comes down to goalkeeping famous last words you know uh i mean if it does that would be a pity especially given our history of of goalkeeping uh prowess when it comes to the u.s team all right uh we'll take another quick break is that cool yep all right when we come back it's time for your questions oh yes ask alexi don't go anywhere Okay, we're back and it's time for uh, Ask Alexi, that time in the show when uh, you send in your questions and you can do it either over the social media platforms out there and keep in mind that our handles are S-O-T-U with Alexi on all the different platforms out there and you can use that hashtag Ask Alexi if you want or you can call into our State of the Union podcast hotline which is 657-549-2297. I think we got some voicemail and some Twitter questions, right, Mossy? Yep, let's uh, go to the voicemail first. Hi, Alex, and David. This is Miguel from Washington, D.C. I have a couple of questions for your podcast. First, do you see viable or realistic to get rid of the offside rule? In my view, it saves no real purpose. If it were to be eliminated, it will increase the goal counts, which we all love. The only thing, I think the defenders will have to be more alert, more active, more proactive. But I think, I think that will be a good initiative. Do you see any problems with that? And second, do you know what the hold up to co- is to consolidate Commonwealth and Concrete? I think it will increase the revenue by expanding their respective markets, not to mention it will make both more competitive. So I will, I wanted to get your thoughts on, you know, what's, what's holding that process up or if there's anything in the works in that respect. Thank you. I love your podcast. Keep it up, guys. Okay. Uh, thank you, Miguel from uh, DC. Okay. So this is a, an evergreen type of suggestion. And look, uh, on the surface, people would say, oh, what are you doing? It's That's impossible, right? Uh, at, at Miguel's suggestion of eliminating offside. First off, um, that has been submitted many, many times uh, over many, many years uh, as a possible change. And on the surface, it absolutely looks like that it would encourage more scoring and um, take away something that we know is controversial at different times uh, in terms of how it is refereed. But um, it's one thing in theory. It's another thing in practice. And we know because at times either you have seen it or participated in it where you've played smaller sided games without uh, without offside. It fundamentally changes the game. And it would be one thing if it fundamentally changed the game, uh, taking away offside in the game, if it fundamentally changed it for the better. but like I said, in practice, what ends up happening is it changes it for the worse. And it actually gets much more predictable, much more boring, much more spread out. Because what ends up happening is players obviously looking to take advantage, and now they don't have to stay onside. They're going to go as far forward as possible. And defenders, without the ability to actually pull off anybody when it comes to offside, are also therefore going to be pulled back. And so it's this great expansion that happens, and basically everybody just sitting at each end uh, uh, end of the game. Now, When we talk about uh, defending, one of the fascinating things about soccer is you don't have to have the ball and you can still be incredibly successful. One of the ways is is absorbing pressure, okay? So we've seen teams that bunker and pull in and give up the ball uh, in terms of possession and just deal with everything uh, and hunker down. The same type of thing can happen in a situation right here, even if there is no offside. And so... It actually doesn't necessarily uh, encourage more goals. It actually doesn't uh, doesn't make it necessarily much more exciting. And as a matter of fact, the entire midfield, if you will, Mossy's already talked earlier uh, in this uh, in this podcast about how romantic he is about the people that play midfield and that do the different things, whether he was talking more about the defensive side, but all of those creative type of players that at times, yes, they can work in small spaces, but also we all, we also know are looking for the space that at times opens up because of the line, the defensive line often. So I I don't see that happening anytime in the future. And, but I will say throwing out Possibilities of change, even though to some it may sound ridiculous, I have no problem with. You know, I've, I've at different times suggested things like, I think the goal should be bigger. Okay. Um, and, you know, people poo poo that and scream and yell and do all those different things. The game evolves, the game looks drastically different than when it first started, uh, both on and off the field. We know that. And there are no bad ideas. Okay, Some of them we can talk about and we can come to the conclusion that, well, on the surface, again, this would be good, but it isn't necessarily. And others, maybe just their time hasn't come when it comes to uh, changing the rules and the way that we ultimately play the game. And guess what? 50 years from now, uh, 100 years from now, when we are long gone, the game will look dramatically different than the game that we are playing uh, today. And who knows whether offsides will... Continue to last, Mossy. Uh, before we go to the uh, other part of the question, anything you have to say on his uh, suggestion there?
1: Well, first off, I'm all for it. I've talked about it on this podcast. I would love if that tournament we had in 2016, the Centenario, became the norm. Uh, instead of having Copa Americas and Gold Cups, we just had one big tournament of the Americas every four years, and that was... Oh, you're talking about the CONCACAF
0: uh thing.
1: Oh, I thought that's what you
0: asked Well, no, I just wanted to I, no, I ask you first about the offside thing, Mossy. Do you want to say anything? Do you think the game would be better without offside?
1: Uh no, I think okay. it's ridiculous.
0: Okay. <laughs>
1: okay. Well, I mean, in, in, in all seriousness, uh I've never been privy to these games, but supposedly IFAB they have experimented sure. with it and they said it it looked ridiculous. Yeah. So, it
0: just so. doesn't work uh, in the way. All right, so anyway, he also Miguel also wanted to know whether there was a possibility of CONCACAF and CONMEBOL merging. And if so, is that even happening?
1: Yeah, like I said, I'd be for it. I guess the issue is you have all these smaller CONCACAF nations who
0: um, but you're an elitist
1: and you know, you, you, yeah, we, we, sometimes tend to think of CONCACAF as just the U S and Mexico and Canada now, Exactly, but you have all these other, uh, smaller countries that would be left behind. And so CONCACAF has to, you know, they're trying to grow the game in their region. And so, uh, that, that's the stumbling block.
0: Well, I do recognize that there comes a time when you have to do what is right for yourself. And so if you're talking about the United States and Mexico and CONCACAF, we all know that at times They are playing against inferior competition that doesn't do us any good, although it does the opposition that you're playing a world of good. And that if you are going to be a member, if you're going to be a part of a club, then it is, I think it behooves you to recognize and respect and value that that membership and the collective is important. And the things that you do can impact the less fortunate, shall we say, um... And the and the teams in this case that we're talking about teams that need more and a CONCACAF without the U.S. Canada and Mexico is that much weaker relative uh, relative to others and you know while that that tournament was great I don't see I, I still see cooperation and partnerships and different times where we are involved I don't see a coming together of CONCACAF and uh, and anytime soon. And if you talk to Victor Montaliani, who's very, very clear about his responsibility to everybody, he knows we got the big dogs in CONCACAF and he has to make sure that he is servicing them to a certain extent because they drive a lot, including a lot of money. But all boats have to rise. And that, I think, is his mandate. And that is anything that is done relative to Comna Bull from CONCACAF has to be with an eye of all of the 40 plus members benefiting from it, as opposed to just a few. So good call there, uh, Miguel from uh, DC. I appreciate it. Uh, what else do we got, got A Twitter question? Uh,
1: yes. Uh, Eric uh, underscore vblog asking about the MLS Cup uh, and the US USC homecoming. How crazy is it going to be outside of Bank of
0: California when that
1: final ends?
0: OK, so we, t- <laughs> we mentioned this earlier. Look. MLS bobs and weaves, right? And, it, and, it all, and even though it's 26 years, it, it still faces challenges. Is this ideal that USC Homecoming is happening uh, on the same day and in the same plot of land that uh, the MLS Cup final is happening? No. Is it ideal that, therefore, there will be no parking? And whether it's us uh, or any of the fans, they're going to have to commute in, train, Uber, Uber, bussing all the different things that happen? No, it's not ideal. And unfortunately, it's a bad look for a major league soccer, and in this case, you know, the the host, which is LAFC, that they can't, they don't want and they can't afford. There are plenty of people that are looking to poke holes. There are plenty of people just lined up with slings and arrows that want to You know, say bad things or criticize MLS for what it isn't. Okay, and then this just, this just gives them ammunition to say, "Hey, your biggest game of the year on national television in this beautiful stadium in downtown, and you can't even own it relative to what's around the park." But you know what? We bob, we weave, we adapt, and in this case, whether it's the uh, the home fans or people that are coming in from outside as guests. We'll figure it out and we'll make the best of what admittedly is not a great, uh, great situation. Uh, is it going to be crazy outside of the stadium, uh, which is what Eric is saying? Yeah. And who knows? It might be this, you know, you got your chocolate and my peanut butter and I got your peanut butter in my chocolate. It's delicious in terms of the coming together of, let's say, the two footballs, if you will and uh, it should be fun to see ultimately what happens. Do we know who USC is playing? Uh, They are playing California. Wow, they're playing California.
1: Uh, Two other college football games I'd like to highlight this upcoming weekend. Uh, Tennessee, who were just named number one in the first edition of the uh, college football playoff rankings, uh, they are at Georgia. That is an absolutely massive game. Our producer, Sean Sullivan, will be tuning into that one. And then uh, the Michigan Wolverines this weekend, at Rutgers, which is a game that always grabs our attention. Uh. All right,
0: well, all right, all right. Listen, uh, uh, we're going to take a break, a break, and that. But I want to talk to you about something here on the uh, on the other side of this break. So don't go anywhere. We'll come back, and I'll give you my one for the road. All right, we're back, and when we uh, when we left you, uh, Mossy, you were explaining to me uh, about the situation where the Wolverines of Michigan. Are, we, are they going to the Scarlet Knights or are the Scarlet Knights coming to uh, Ann Arbor? Uh,
1: they are at Rutgers, which is a good thing to get away from that tunnel for a
0: Piscataway week. Piscataway coming <laughs> at you. Yeah, right? Um, okay. Well, with that in mind, uh, you know, our good friend uh, Rob Stone. He, uh, he was in Ann Arbor uh, last couple of weeks. I can't remember. And he wanted me to give you something, okay? Because he knows how big of a uh, Wolverine fan you are. So I don't know if we can get a picture of this, but here, here we go here. So. All right, so he evidently went out to the uh, Wolverines uh, hockey game, all right? So this, this is a sweater, as the hockey people call it. There we go. There we go. I don't know whose it is, number 12. We'll get Rob to give you more information, but he wanted to give this to you yesterday on the lot, but uh, there you go.
1: That is fantastic. I, l- I love this gift. Uh, so I will thank Rob the next time I see Yeah, I saw Rob at Yost Arena, it's called. Jenny yes. Taft uh
0: yes.
1: showing off her skills. Uh, Michigan Hockey, by the way, uh, number one in the country right now. They have a freshman, Adam Fantilli, who is the Erlen Holland of college <laughs> hockey. The kid is a cheat code. Uh, so no, this is a terrific gift. Uh,
0: Awesome. Awesome. Um, all right. Well, listen, uh, you make sure that uh, actually you should pack that for Qatar. For and speaking of that, uh, a lot of people have been asking me about preparation for Qatar. And look, I, I, I've done this now, as you have many, many times. And you know, I'll give you, a, again, a little peek behind the curtain. Uh, so what do I what do I bring? I don't bring the suits that I wear because we here at, at uh, Fox Sports have the most incredible wardrobe department. Um, I will put them up against anybody out there. And that we even have one is a blessing in and of itself. And we have already had much of our clothing already shipped over there, so they will be ready for us. Uh, and I need all the help that I can get. And the, uh, the men and women down there are just incredible at, uh, at what they do. So I don't take my suits, Um, the tendency is to take as much stuff as possible because, you know, I'm going to be over there six, seven weeks. Uh, I have already been to Doha plenty of times, uh, rest assured that, uh, there is detergent and there are washing machines and you can certainly do, do plenty of, uh, plenty of laundry. Uh, I do take a guitar, uh, that is one, you know, of the personal things that I do. Inevitably you will not use Most of the stuff that you ultimately bring, you know, there's the adapters and and all that kind of stuff, and the, uh, you know, the toiletries that you don't think that you can possibly get there. This is what I've found, Mossy, when it comes to a World Cup in terms of the day in and day out existence. Routine is your friend, it is a Groundhog Day type of existence, Uh, especially now with, you know, four games a day and you're just ripping through every single day. And to the extent that you can get on a daily course of events and a ritual, like I said, that is really what helps you. And if and when you deviate from that, it can really, really mess you up. I'm not saying you don't enjoy the time you're there. I'm not saying that you don't see the city or see the you know, the country and the culture out there. But this is not, I'm not there as a tourist, all right? I'm there for work and I'm there to do what I love. As you are, whether you're in front of the camera, behind the camera, and we will continue to do our work when it comes to the, uh, uh, the, pod, the podcast here. If I could get away with traveling uh, with just a carry-on, I would. It's a little bit much for seven weeks or so that, uh, that I'm gonna be gone. So I'm gonna have to put something underneath the plane, including, uh, including my guitar. Um, other than that, you know it's it's the usual stuff. There's not a whole lot of strange things that I take. And um, it gets done. I, I was talking to Stu Holden earlier and and Rob Stone, and they were they were, they're all stressing out about when they're going to be packing. and you know, I leave in a week, basically, by the time that uh, you are listening to this. and i'll I'll just throw it all in and and off we go. And it's not Timbuktu. It is Doha Qatar. And as we said, there's plenty there. If you need something, it is right there at your disposal that you can, uh, that you can figure out. But I'm excited, Masi. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm excited. We're getting down to it. And the packing is the least of my, uh, of my worries. Uh, I will have some equipment when it comes to microphones and some different things that we are doing. Our folks, whether it's Sean or others that uh, are going to be over there, will have plenty of the equipment. So all of that is uh, kind of taken care of of, uh, for us, as, a, as is a lot of stuff. I just have to go out there and not suck. You know, a challenge, but I'm up to it. What about you? Have you started packing? No. <laughs> I, I don't leave till the 14th. But you know, uh, do you have an idea of what you're going to bring? I mean, you're, pretty, you're, you're a, a beautifully simple man in, you know, what you wear and what you need to survive, right?
1: Uh, my flight is 3 p.m. on the 14th, so that morning I'll start <laughs> thinking about it.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, listen, uh, we uh, will be back again next week, at which point we'll be able to talk about a lot of things, including a new MLS Cup champion. Mossing, anything to say before we go? Yeah, I mean, our next show
1: is going to be a blockbuster. We're going to recap MLS Cup. We can talk about the Champions Champions League draw. And the Brazil World Cup roster drops on Monday. So I'll I'll be in either a good mood or a really bad mood. Oh, you're
0: going to be just fine. Nobody's (laughs) crying for you in Brazil, regardless of who that 26 is. Well, Before we go, is there one person that you're worried is either going to be on or one person you're worried that's not going to be on? I mean, what's the controversy here when it comes to Brazil right now? Is there anything?
1: Uh well, there's actually an interesting questions surrounding Danny Alves, who believe it or not, at 39 years of age is still in the picture. Uh, but uh he had a disastrous move to Pumas, uh, who got they didn't make the playoffs in League MX, so he hasn't played in weeks. So there's a lot of questions surrounding him. So that's kind of one of the things I'm looking at. No, elsewhere I think Chi Chi has the right idea. I like the guys he's been calling the last few squad lists. I've been happy with so um, you know, I don't think it's going to be overly stressful, but you know, okay. we'll, we'll see.
0: Crimea River. No. Uh it's going to be good. And as we mentioned again, uh on the 9th, uh, November 9th, uh, Greg Berhalter will announce his 26. And there will be the usual wringing of hands and consternation, uh, but that's a good thing because it means we got a lot of different options out there. All right, we'll talk to you again next week and until then, and as always, size the day.